You're listening to Success Stalkers Radio, episode 46, with author, comedy writer, and comedian, Daryl Littleton. Hey everybody, this is Ian Floyd from the Love and Sensibility Podcast, and you're tuned into my girl, Iona Garrett, on the Success Stalkers Radio Show. Welcome to Success Stalkers Radio. I am your host, Iona Garrett. People all over the globe are rewriting the rules to success. They're making money and changing the world. Join me Monday through Friday as I interview today's top entrepreneurs, business leaders, and entertainers that will leave you inspired to take action and achieve success on purpose. Are you ready? Let's dive right in. All right, let's get started. Welcome to another episode of Success Stalkers Radio. I am your host, Iona Garrett, and I am just excited to introduce my guest today, Mr. Daryl Littleton. So welcome to the show, Daryl. Thank you, Iona. It's great to be here. Well, and you're very welcome. So excited to have you here. Well, you know, Daryl, here at Success Stalkers Radio, we have a motto, and our motto is, until you become successful, stalk those who already are. So are you ready to be stalked today? Yes, I am. <laughs> as long as it's as long as it's across the airways and there's nobody in my bushes, yeah, I'm cool with that. <laughs> right, exactly. Well, it's gonna be successful stalking. So. Right. Well, uh, well, author and comedian Daryl Littleton began his comedy career writing sketches for the Tom Joyner Morning Show on CBS Radio. During his tenure there, he became a regular at the world famous Comedy Store and adopted the stage name D Militant for his slicing and incisive social and political commentary. Daryl's crackling wit won him respect and admiration from the industry's top comics, such as D.L. Hughley, who tapped Daryl to be his exclusive writer during his years as host of BET's Comic View. Daryl's talent was immediately recognized, and he was hired as writer-producer for the show, where he penned material for Cedric the Entertainer, Samore, and Don D.C. Curry. Daryl's comedic talents also landed him in front of the camera where he guest starred on Robert Townsend's WB sitcom, The Parenthood, and was a recurring performer on Townsend's variety show, Townsend Television for Fox. And he also became the first African-American on the advisory board of the Comedy Hall of Fame and served as script supervisor, touring host, and personal writer for mega star Cat Williams. He has since penned three other books and co-hosted the radio program Tuesdays with D. Militant. He's toured the nation as a public speaker and in 2014 launched his fifth book, How to Be Funny, The Essential Comedy Handbook, a tutorial on the art of laughter. So, Daryl, I've given our listeners an overview about you, but I want you to take a minute and tell us a little bit about you personally because we want to get to know you and then just give us some information or tell us about your success path. Uh, well, I sound like Methuselah. That was a lot. That was a lot. Was a guy George Burns. Uh, that was a whole lot. You know, yeah. well, it's one thing to live in, it's another thing to hear about it. So, yeah, I guess it's time for my Lifetime Achievement Award, even though I'm not even a third way done. I know, right? <laughs> I've always been a big fan. I'm glad. I wanted to be on this show because you, you talk to entrepreneurs and you have speakers and authors on. And that is like the field that I'm really, or the phase of my career I'm really concentrating on right now is speaking and, you know, writing. And because I've always been a big fan of commission, 
um, ever since um, I heard about commission over versus salary, it's like, well, why would anybody want to do salary? If the harder you work or the smarter you work, um, the more money you're going to make. Yes, it is riskier, but it also is a motivation that if you don't do anything, then you're not going to get anything out of it. And I always liked, um, and I think from an entrepreneurial spirit, that you want to have control over your destiny versus somebody else who really, in most cases, you don't know. And even if you do know them as your boss or employer, you don't know if the decisions they make are going to be in your best interest. When they drop the ball, that can not only affect um, your time, but your money as well. Whereas I would, if I fall on my tail, I would rather be because I did something wrong <laughs> versus, you know, I'm just, yes, I'm, just I'm just a little mindless sheep going behind this other person who, you know, turns out they're not, in a lot of cases out there, if you're listening uh, to this, remember this, a lot of cases your bosses are not as smart as you when it comes to your interest. So, yeah, they're just people that got in positions. Don't be overly impressed. <laughs> you know, they're, they're really no better. <laughs> Right, right. So I've always been a big fan of the whole commission thing. I used to sell real estate. Um, I used to do mortgages. I did that. I worked. I've always been the type to want to be a self starter, start at the ground, and you know work your way up. But do it really quickly um, because you're probably not going to stay here anyway. So get what you can out of it, and true, true, true. and also kind of know what you want for you. Um, I've been around people that have been very successful people, but they were trying to live an image of what they thought the position they were in was versus, yeah, but how do you fit into this mold versus you trying to conform to something totally different than what it is. Just because you're a big name comedian doesn't mean you have to have 82 bodyguards. You know, <laughs> you know. I mean, it looks impressive. You know, you're walking with this big entourage, but the reality is, nobody's trying to get at you. You're not a right, you're right. not a dignitary or a head of state. It's okay. Calm down. Or the president. Huh? Yeah. You know, right? You got more bodyguards than the president. You know, it's like, wow, right, really? Right. Who is after you? What have you done out there? Right. That's hilarious. So, well, Daryl, if you can, tell us a little bit about you personally, too. Oh uh, well, I've got two daughters. Uh, listen, one's twenty-four; the other's going to be four in a couple of weeks. Um, different mothers. If not, I, I'm really a stud, and you know that woman was really fertile. Um, <laughs> there's a twenty-year gap on that. So, yeah, I'm one of those people that's had it. Started divorce. over. <laughs> yeah, yeah, started over. Really, literally, um, because I was in California. You go through a California divorce. Yeah, it's like starting from scratch. And I decided to get a divorce right when the um, right before the uh, the recession hit. So my timing was absolutely perfect on that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you, you know, you're losing. Yes, it was. Yeah, you're losing your thing. The bottom is falling out of the economy. Oh yeah, that was a real smart move. <laughs> but uh, but you know, if you're an entrepreneur, you look at that and say, okay, now I just got to find a different angle to work. That's all. Um, versus if I've been in a regular job and I uh, adapted to a lifestyle and if I lose, you know, a few checks, I'm like, oh, my whole world's going to crumble. I would have been in the same kind of panic mode as everybody else. Right, right. 
Well, Darren, we're going to dive way deeper into your journey just a little bit. Before we sure. do, though, I would love to know if if you have a, a success quote that you that really resonates with you that that you enjoy. If you can share a quote with us, because we really like to get the motivational ball rolling here at Success Talk with the radio. So, if you have one, take it away. Um, yes, uh, and this actually came from my father, who said, "Nobody cares about you but you." And I think that's a motivational thing that puts it on your shoulders. In other words, yes, be willing to delegate. Yes, be willing to work as teams and all that. But also be willing to do more than your share. Be willing to know everybody's role and exactly what's going on so you yourself see the big picture. Don't expect that anybody is going to toe the line for you. You can never be the weakest link in any situation. You should never be. So, I agree. Can you give me an example of how you've applied that, you know, along your journey? Um, yes. Um, I do. I've always done a lot of stuff, what I would say, grassroots. And then I always have been uh, just egoless to know what I do not know. And so when it says nobody really just cares about you but you, then you have to give them a vested interest to care about the situation. It's not about you. It's about the project or what's going on. And, if I don't know something, for instance, I have a tech guy. Um, he does all he deals with the apps and fan box and fan bridge and all that. Um, but mm-hmm. he gets a percentage of what I get, so he has a vested interest in the success of me right. <laughs> versus he's just a guy who gets paid a flat rate. Uh, otherwise, he doesn't care about me over any other client, but he does care about wow, I'm getting this out of it. So right, that makes yeah. Sense. So you have to make it more than just about you because why should anybody care about you as a person? Because you live and breathe? No, because of their relationship to you, but it has to benefit them as well. And I think that's where people go wrong sometimes. It's not all about you. (laughs) That's a great quote. Your your dad was a wise wise man. Yeah, yeah, he was. He was was my motivator, for sure. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, here at Success Talkers Radio, we are all about the story and the journey of our guests. And I know that you have just had an amazing journey, especially since I just, you know, just shared your bio with us, uh, with our listeners. And it's just fascinating. But we want to focus first on, say, maybe a possible failure that maybe you experienced along the way. Um, You know, maybe you just fell flat on your face or even flat on your back. And if you can, Daryl, take us there with you. We want to go with you to a time and place where you experienced a failure and then share a lesson that you learned from it. Um, this is a really easy one. I was working at a mortgage company. I think I was a branch manager and I had gotten into comedy and things were going relatively well. I was taking, you know, almost everything I did was working out and I needed a television appearance to be my first. And this was like my first two, three years in comedy. Um, I got on the Apollo theater and you know, the Apollo, they're known for booing comedians, but I really wasn't worried about that because I'm funny. They're not going to boo me. (laughs) <laughs> you know, so right, the, right. <laughs> the thing was, the Apollo Theater did not fly you out. They didn't put you up. You had to do that all on your own. And the reward was they pay you a check, which uh, in my particular case was a wash for everything. It's like, okay, that's fine. So I get there, and then that's what they tell me. They tell me, okay, well, you're headlining on this, so you're one of the featured comedians on this. So since we're paying you, you have to do the full time. Um, if it gets a little rough with the audience, because they're rough, don't worry about it. We've got you on a separate mic channel. So we can always cut their sound out, but you have to go to the end if you're going to get paid. And it's like, oh, well, okay. all right, fine. So 
words, you get booed, you can't walk <laughs> off and lower your head, you can't run off stage, uh, you're going to have to go the whole time. It's like, all right, well, that's fine. The whole time. I go to Sandman because I'm thinking now, it's like, well, wait a minute. The only thing that could stop a bad plan from going bad, worse, is if Sandman comes and sweeps me off. And that's the technicality. Right. You don't have to pay me. Uh, so I'm thinking in those terms. So I go to Sandman and I say, well, look, um, they told me what the deal is. And I don't care what happens out there. Don't come sweep anything. I don't need look, I I paid my own money to get here. I'm getting that money back. Don't come out. And he says, well, are you sure? I said, man, yes, I'm sure. I'm telling you, don't do it. And oh, by the way, my name is Gerald Lopez. (laughs) I introduced myself to it. (laughs) So I go out there and I'm thinking I'm going to do fine because the set I'd done work everywhere else. Uh, I said, assalamu alaikum. That was the first thing I said. And they started booing. Now, I got to point out the time uh, perspective on this. This was like, I believe, uh, 1992 in October, September, October, Malcolm X came out in, in November. I went back into the Apollo theater, uh, showtime at the Apollo, something like that in uh, January and got a standing ovation with the exact same act that I did wow. at the Apollo that they didn't hear because the whole place booed me because they were mad that I wasn't getting off. When I got off, People down in the green room were saying, we didn't know you were getting booed until they showed the audience on the monitor. Because you were acting like you were killing. And I said, because they weren't going to pay me if I didn't. <laughs> you don't understand. That was the right, motivation. Right. Um, and Sandman didn't sweep me. And as I walked past Sandman, after the whole, I'm talking about the whole place was standing up, doing the swaying motion, like, get off, boo. How dare you, you know, uh, disobey, disobey us. Wow. And Sandman said, right, man, right, you got right. a lot of guts. <laughs> As, as I walked past, and it's like, well, no, because you know what, Sandman, right, right. that's as worth, that's as bad as it's ever going to get for me. And if that's as bad as it's ever going to get, I'll be fine. Mm, yes, indeed, I love it. I love it. Wow, that took some courage. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? It wasn't as bad as as, as, as I've ever described it. It was. It didn't feel that bad because once they started booing, it's like, well, okay, here we go. <laughs> yeah. Here we go. <laughs> and you already and you already kind of expected if that happened, you knew it, what to do. It had already happened to Jamie Foxx. It had happened to Dio Hughley. It had happened to Ricky Harris. It had happened for comedians that I had respected who were my peers. So I knew I wasn't invulnerable to it happening. That oh, it couldn't happen right. to me. Right. I <laughs> hope it doesn't. But you know. Oh, I love it. I love it, Daryl. Well, let's go forward as we transition to the other end of the spectrum because I want to just ask you real quickly. Any aha moments you've had that have helped you to become successful? And if so, tell us one that uh, have you know possibly helped you become successful along the way. When I got my first royalty check, um, that's when I realized the expansiveness of what was a possibility. Because when I first got into comedy, I was just a stand-up. I mean, I started writing, but we would just get paid. I was writing for Tom Joyner. There was no royalty on that, really, you know, tax write-off, whatever. But... Um, when I started doing television and I got that first royalty check, it's like, okay. And then when I would write things where I could get royalty from it, it's like, okay. And then the, the aha moment was you need to become a content provider. Then you need to put as many things in that trunk of annuity that you can, because as a comedian, um, entertainer or whatever you want to call it, you're, um, 
there is no retirement plan. There is, you know, you're not going to get a gold watch. So, you know, there's none of that. Right, so right. if you if you expect, you know, because you don't know what's ever going to happen to you in your older age, um, physically or mentally or whatever, if you're going to have anything stocked away besides your gig to gig to gig money, you need to have passive income where it's working for you while you're asleep. Absolutely. You wake up, you wake up the next morning, it's like, oh, great, glad that happened. And and you're not playing the stock market. I mean, the risk factor is nil in that particular sense because you're putting out product. And in my particular case, books, I have books in libraries. I have a book being taught at USC, which means students have to buy that book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's part of the curriculum. Wow, you, can't get ar- you can't get around it. Right. Um, so you want to put as much product out there, no matter what field you're in, my thing and suggestion is you're not really building a company as much as you're building a brand. You want to be known as an expert in whatever field you're in. It doesn't have to be entertainment. I mean, come on, it's the, the whole world is out there. You can be an expert in making pillows, right. but be the, be that expert to where when somebody says, okay, well, we need these kind, they're talking to you or you're the first name that comes up. <clears throat> So that's why, you know, sometimes people get away from that particular fact. Build, always build the brand. Um, I've got something that I'm doing right now uh, for Laugh Records. Um, I don't know if you remember Laugh Records has the old Red Fox and Lawanda page and all yes, those. Yes, I artists. remember. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, they went out of business in, uh, I think that was in the 80s. Uh, yeah, it was the mid-80s they went out of business. But what happened is their whole library was bought by another company and they approached me and said, Hey, we want, we're doing a collection. We want to have it out by the holidays. And we had hired a guy to do the liner notes and produce it. But he said, he really doesn't know all this stuff. He said, you're the guy I should be talking to. And so they contacted me and that was based on, I've built that brand that people know. And I don't even know the guy who they said referred me (laughs) to be quite honest with you. Wow. That's awesome, Daryl. Congratulations on that. But I agree with what you're saying because, you know, as an entrepreneur, we you're right. You have to brand yourself and, and put out great content, you know, quality content. And, and I love what you're doing because to most people, they see you on television or they see, you know, which they don't know all the behind the scenes things that you're doing, you know. And, and I love that because and this is one of the reasons why I enjoy bringing on entertainers and comedians on our show, because you are still an entrepreneur. Just because you're an entertainer, you're still in the business for yourself. You are the business. So that's that's why, you know, I, I was just excited that you, you know, wanted to be on our show. So thank you for giving so much value for our listeners. Thank you. Oh, sure. Uh, well, you know, and that's the thing. A lot of people, well, a lot of entrepreneurs, this is my suggestion for anybody who is kind of struggling at being an entrepreneur or somebody who's thinking about it. Get a regular job and work it for a term, and when I say that, up until a full pay period, and get that check. But make it one of those jobs, and probably will be in today's job market, one of those jobs where you hate. You can't stand (laughs) it. You don't want to do it. After the first hour there, you want to get up and run out the door. But do it, and then when you see that check, say, could I really do this kind of stuff for the rest of my life? And if you can, then do it. That should be your life then because you're not going to make it as an entrepreneur because if you don't get that check, look at it and say, oh, this is ridiculous. Right. <laughs> you know, are you kidding me? Um, there's no way I can live like this. I'm not doing it. 
And I'm not saying that's for everybody, but for the, uh, the audience li- listening right now who want to be entrepreneurs, you've got to know that if you don't succeed in what you're trying to do, that's going to be your life. True. You're right. That's what always motivates me. I've worked regular jobs, and it's like, and any, any comedian I know that has worked a regular job, their attitude about their comedy is totally different than those that haven't. It's like people who have families react differently than people who, who don't. don't. True. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. Well, there, let's shift the focus for a minute because I want to shine the spotlight on you, my friend. Share with us one okay. of your proudest entrepreneurial moments in your career. Um, the Muhammad Ali Center. Um, I did that as a speaking engagement and... I mean, that was a result of one of my proudest moments. My proudest moment actually was when I decided to shift um, kind of direction and get into speaking and writing. Okay. Um, that was because the stand-up market got stagnant. Uh, how can I say this? I'm an expert in black comedy. Well, I'm a black comedy historian. And what I notice about most historians is the period has to be over for you to be a historian on it, for you to put perspective on it. Um, Black comedy, and some people would argue with me about it, and I could argue with them all day on it, it's extensively over um, as a genre. Mm -hmm. My point is the kings of comedy, of course, Bernie has passed, but our original kings of comedy, two of them are talk show hosts, and one of them's got a radio show. Yep. And I'm not knocking any of them, but I'm saying they're not the forefront of the black comedy movement. What black comedy movement is there? Your most visible comedians right now are Rodman and Nikki Carr on uh, Last Comic Standing, and neither one of them can be classified, whoever wins, is going to be classified as a black comedian. Mm-hmm. They're going to be a mainstream comedian because right. they're going to be an NBC individual, mm-hmm. contract person, similar to a Tracy Morgan. They're going to be a company person. Makes sense. So who is the black comedian that's leading that movement? Dave Chappelle, he's had his moment. Cat Williams had his moment. Kevin Hart's not a black comedian. He's not leading that movement. He's mainstream. Yeah, he's One day mainstream. he'll host the Oscars. Right, yes. He's definitely mainstream. Chris Tucker, really? You were hanging around Bill Clinton. Yeah, you were a real black comedian. <laughs> no, you're mainstream. Right, right. <laughs> you were doing international movies with Jackie Chan. You're mainstream. So there is nobody leading the black comedy movement, which means there's no movement at all. That's true. I never really thought about that, Daryl, until you just kind of broke that down. It's true. Interesting. You know, everybody's doing their own thing, but it's a mainstream thing. It, and most of the people are from Def Jam. Most of the black stars are from Def Jam and Comedy View. Yep. Huh. So that's a tr- those are 20 year old institutions. Yeah, that's what I grew up on. <laughs> yeah, we don't right. have we don't have and that anymore. Not- yeah, it's true. And you don't have anything even like that anymore. The shows that are coming on now, unfortunately, and I've done a number of them. Um, they get they're either on stations most people don't have cable providers like Stars or Bounce or whatever. Or um, so you're not you're not hitting the same number of people that you are hitting, and a lot of it is just retreaded uh, formulas. Wow. Yeah. Well, Daryl, we know that you know being an entrepreneur, and you kind of touched on this a few minutes ago, but being an entrepreneur can be, you know, like a roller coaster of emotions, and you know you can be up today, and then within the next 24 hours, you're frustrated or, or ready to quit. But can you tell us something that maybe that you do to keep your focus uh, um, that you can maybe share with our listeners, you know, to keep that end result in mind, something that you do? 
yeah, now this is what I do, um, and you would have to adapt it to whatever um, field of endeavor you're in. I'm a writer, so I write every day. Um, I make a point of that. Um, I like sometimes make, since I'm from a sales background, I like making the deal sometimes myself. I've got a lawyer slash manager, and, but because he is that and works for other people as well, right. I don't expect him to sit on the phone the way I'm going to sit on the phone and pound it for like my speaking engagements, which I'm known less for than say my stand-up where calls are coming in. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so I don't mind doing that. So I try to do that every day, make some calls every day and write every day. Okay. So. I love it. That's great. And, and, and that's the thing. Yeah, because um, one of the interviews I saw one of your guests, that's what they said, that a lot of entrepreneurs don't practice the art of doing something consistently every day. Whereas if you had a regular job, you would have to do that. The thing is, you're your boss. Um and I know that's why I can never fire myself because I know the kind of guy I am. I'd probably sneak back and shoot him. So, <laughs> you know, sneak back after hours and blow me away. So that's the one thing about being self-employed. You got to be in that mindset of it is you. You are the company. Right. You drive everything. Right. And um, you should have a certain amount of pride in that, to be quite honest. You should want to be the best boss you ever had. That is so true. So true, Daryl. Wow, that's good stuff. You are dropping some golden nuggets on us today. So thank you so much. Thank you. Well, Daryl, can you tell us any new projects that you're working on that you're really excited about? Um, well, like I said, I'm really excited about the Laugh Records project. I mean, I've got, let me go ahead and run down the books that I do already have out there in the latest one. Um, Black Comedians on Black Comedy was the first book I wrote, and that got turned into the documentary Why We Laugh by Robert Townsend. Um, I followed that up like five years later and wrote a book called Pimp Down, The Rise and Fall of Cat Williams. At the time I wrote that, it was uh, 2011, I had written for, I had written for Cat personally, okay. um, and I worked with him and toured with him for a year and a half, almost two years. This was right before his mental, his first meltdown and so forth. Mm-hmm. So the reason the book was written um, we parted ways in early 2009. The book wasn't written for almost three years later. Okay. Uh, that's because Chad decided he wanted to put a hit on me because he had a nervous breakdown. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, what happened was he had a nervous breakdown in front of me and seven of the girls in his camp. Um, he exiled them. Well, three of them actually went and robbed him and stole them. It's all public record, so I'm not talking out of school. And it's also in my <laughs> book as well. <laughs> Um, that you well, comedy is the kind of business where nobody really prepares you for the massive success that a Martin or a Cat and certain other people have, and it would it would boggle most people's mind the complete total freedom that a lot of individuals in comedy have to basically destroy themselves to a large degree, um, or to completely excel because there are no babysitters. When people talk about, well, how could Britney Spears and how could the people around these people, Lindsay Lohan, how, how could they allow him to do that? Well, they're grown up. Right. That's how that's they're allowed to do it. Right, that's true. You, you, have, you have people, you know, agents and managers, but you don't have handlers. Right. right. You know, in that true sense. So, you know, you're able to do what you want to do, and if you take good and wise advice, you end up fine. If you take good counsel, you end up fine. But 
if you're going to be stubborn and and MC hammer yourself, there's nothing anybody can really do about that. You're going to make the ship go down. And we had some aha moments in that where the ship was going down. Well, Cat fired everybody. He said he was retiring. And the next thing you know, he's in a mental institution. And he thought the people that were around him during his meltdown, which led to that, two weeks later, were responsible, really, for him being in the mental institution, being that everybody, it was a mass conspiracy. Wow. <laughs> you know, not just a few individuals <laughs> that he trusted, a few bad apples right. in a camp that consisted of 38 people, three ripped them off. Everybody's involved. Everybody's. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> because I was the wow. only guy, uh, I must die. So, you know, I mean, yeah. I had people calling me, telling, hey, Cat's got a hit on you. So it's like, are you kidding me? And I didn't, uh, and, I, and I put this out. I don't think he personally just went forward with, D must die, but loose lips get people killed. What powerful individuals have to understand, especially those who curry favor from minions, um, is if you say something, somebody will want to go and act on that just so they can come back to you and say, I've got the head of D. Militon. Oh, great Lord and Savior, please worship me. You know what I mean? There's people who, I had two guys coming to me and say, you know, if Cat ever has to go to jail, let him know I'll do his time for him. It's like, wow, really? You give up your own lifetime for a guy? You Okay, whatever. Wow. <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> wow. But there are people out there like that. And so that's what I was concerned about. Not that he personally is going to ride by with a Tommy gun or anything, but that one of these knuckleheads is going to act on it. So that's why the book was written more as a safeguard and actually to chronicle something me and him had already talked about. We were going to do like a bio anyway before he had a nervous okay. breakdown. Um, the next book I wrote was called... Um, forefathers and it's the story of the American Revolution told from a black perspective um, which is really kind of cool and actually it's my favorite book um, okay. and then I wrote a book with my wife called okay. Comedians Laugh Be a Lady which is a full history of female comedy and then my latest book is How to Be Funny which is a tutorial on how to make people laugh and it's all nuts and bolts it's not just for beginning comics or even veteran comics which is for both of them but anybody who's in the field where you have to deal with the public because basically people buy from people and no matter what a walk of life you're in you're selling something but ultimately you're selling yourself more than the product absolutely so that's great if you're going to sell you check those out i'm going to have to yeah, because um, all of them are at Amazon.com. Every okay. every single one I named, or you could punch in my name, and I'm sure they'll all just spit right out. And they're both at, and uh, all of them are at Barnes and Noble, BN.com, excuse me, as well, and physically okay. on the Barnes and Noble shelves. Um, but uh, how to be funny if you're in sales of any kind? Um, this will teach you how to basically put your client or whoever you're dealing with. It can even be in a personal relationship. How to put somebody at ease because people are very comfortable when they're laughing at something. That's true. You're right. You're absolutely correct. That's true. Yeah. And, and your books too. Also, they all of our listeners can can find your books on the show notes page. When we're done, we're also going to have a page with your name as well. It'll be successtalkersradio.com/slash Daryl Littleton. So all the links in the books and everything that you named today will be there, so they can go. We'll put the links for them to go right to Amazon. Barnes and Noble to be able to purchase them. Yeah, because they can get it uh, Kindle, Nook, or paperback. Either way. 
Okay, good deal. Good deal. Well, we have reached my favorite part of the interview, Daryl, and that is what we call here the success round. And we're going to go a little fast here okay. and we'll be done in just a minute. But the, what was, if you can tell me, what was it that held you back from becoming an entrepreneur before you started? Um, hmm. Yeah, that is a good question. I think it was because I was in the worker mentality like everybody else. Uh, you know, the standard thing of you have the company kind of put you in certain positions. Like, you know, and I did come up with the ranks of BET, but it, it was still somebody else's company, and they could fire me whenever they wanted to. So um, I think that was it, and then I decided, yes, once I did get fired from BET. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, me, me and the vice president had a difference of opinion. He thought a certain segment of a show was, you know, more beneficial than another, and he had me producing the show. So it was a creative difference, and it was his shot. To, it was his call to make, and, you know, so the coach pretty much benched me. Actually, mm. threw me off the court. <laughs> you know, like, like I was this renegade producer, you know, going running wild right. in a month. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and then, and then they blamed me for the failure of the season. It's like, oh yes, right. I authorized all the checks and I did all the casting and all that. Yeah. Wow. wow. <laughs> he was a renegade oh, producer. Wow. Are you serious? Oh my yeah, goodness. Like, <laughs> like I was Colonel Kurtz. I don't know if you remember the Blackberry Inn. That was a uh, part of BET's comedy. That was the soap I opera that we had. Yes, I remember. Uh, there were there were good parts of it and there were bad parts of it. But I felt the worst thing was it was cut into the competition. And it was hard to get a, a real flow of the show. And that's what the, that, you know, me and him argued over like 13 seconds of not enough Blackberry in over comic view. And it became ridiculous. And he said, well, you only got a month on your contract and we're just not going to renew you. For, and I was thinking, I'm not coming back next year anyway. Wow. I've already made up my mind. I mean, I've been there for five seasons. I've pretty much done what I needed to do. And I wanted to move on, you know, with my career, really. I didn't want to just be a producer of BT's comedy. I didn't want that to be just my legacy, even though that was a cool thing. But I had been through I'd Cedric and DL and um, some more and uh, Don D.C. Curry. It's like, and I thought we were going to start getting into diminishing returns after those because they were great comedians back in that day. So moving on. You were. You've taken me back, Daryl. <laughs> I remember <laughs> I remember being in so many tears just laughing so hard watching them. Oh, my gosh. Well, comedians were more, uh, bottom line is comedians were more original back then because we had to be, because we didn't have a ton of role models. And see, the comedians that came up after us did because they had all of us. And so that's why a lot of the comedians are getting over now, like Rod Band and Nikki Carr and all these others, are 15-year veterans. They're not brand new comics. They've been around as long as most. That's true. Very, very true. Well, what's the best business advice, Daryl, that you've ever received? Visualize what you want. Set the goals to do it and make all of your deadlines, even if they're personal deadlines. Never back That's off good. of those. And be very strict on yourself about those deadlines. Really try not to let anything beyond, you know, family issues or whatever uh, deter from that. Don't make excuses for yourself at all. That's good. Well, what book uh, would you recommend to our listeners? I know we, we're definitely going to you know, recommend your books, of course. Do, are there any other books that you've read maybe that has, has meant a lot to you that you could possibly recommend? Yeah, I, I will. Because I was just going to say, I only write books that I... Somebody asked me this and said, well, why do you write the books that you write? Because I wanted to read them. 
and nobody and nobody and nobody had written them. And so because I wanted that information, I figured, well, let me just go ahead and write this. Um there was a book I would suggest, and this is for comedians, um, How to Be a Stand Up Comic by Richard Belzer. Okay. And Richard Belzer is the guy that was on um what was that show? Uh the cop show with the doo doo um and I can't remember it right now. They always switch in characters. Uh, okay. Yeah, whatever. It'll come back. You said Richard Belzer? Yeah, Richard, Richard Belzer. And there's people out there know that they're saying to themselves, "You don't know the name of the show." It's like, no, it's not. It's not one of those. <laughs> it's not one of those forensic shows. It's not a CSI show. But it's been on forever, and I'm trying to remember that. Okay. Yeah, but Richard Belzer. We'll probably we'll probably both think about it after. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay, but. But we'll make sure we put all the information on the on the website, so right. it'll all be there. Right, Richard Belzer had to be a comic. It's it's a it's, as a mind philosophy. It's more it's not jokes. It's the philosophy of what we've been talking about. The mindset. The mindset of just one thing Belzer drops is if you want to be the world's greatest accountant, that's fine. Then go ahead and stay there at the accounting agency. But if you want to be a comedian, pay your bills, have a job. Put food on the table and all that, but always have your eye on the prize. That I got to get out of here as soon as I can. Absolutely. Makes sense. Great book. Thanks for recommending that. Yeah. Yeah. No, it really is a great book. And that's what encouraged me to write my book. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, okay. Wow. Yeah. Because that's a generation ago. The new generation needs to have another version of it. Absolutely. Well, my last question of the day, Daryl, is first I want you to just imagine for just a moment that you woke up tomorrow morning, let's say in a brand new world, and let's say it's identical to Earth, but you knew no one. Let's say you still have all the same knowledge and experience you currently have today, and your food is taken care of and your shelter is taken care of, but you only have a laptop and $500. What would you do in the next seven days? I would hire a tech guy and make him a partner and have him build me a website and provide it with a bit of content that I would have because I would shoot myself doing stand-up comedy just a la Michael Collier, gather the crowd and all that, shoot that and sell that online and then add more content to it. I love it. I love it. What a great answer. Thank you. It's awesome. You know, the reason why we asked that question uh, Daryl is because you know with with entrepreneurs you know when you're starting when you're starting a business from scratch you know typically you know most people go out and you know they start networking and that's kind of what you you're pretty much saying what you would do because you know you would basically basically be putting content out there for the world to see you know doing something on on a large scale so so yeah thank you for that answer well you know and I also want to say this before we go um, I think everybody has to really know who you are to know how you're going to be happy. Um, and when I say that, who you are would dictate just the kind of moves you want to make and what kind of really life you want to live. If you think you want to be a big, giant star and all that, just ask yourself, well, do I like my privacy invaded? Do I like people asking me unnecessary questions or coming up <laughs> to me during a meal and all that? Because then maybe you want to be a celebrity and you don't want to be a big star. Um, it's nothing you can really control, but is that the lifestyle you want to really go down? If not, then don't go down that certain road because those are the things and issues you're going to have to deal with with any uh, job or creative endeavor you do. There's always going to be pitfalls, so try to position yourself where you personally are happy and you're not trying to live anybody else's version of happy. 
Awesome. Good stuff. And I'm glad you said that because I was going to ask you to give our listeners some parting advice. So thank you. (laughs) You're on top of it. I love it. (laughs) Well, Daryl, it has certainly been just a pleasure hearing your journey today. And it's been inspiring. And, you know, if you don't mind, before we end, if you can just share with our listeners how they can find you and then we'll say goodbye. Yeah, uh, Twitter, you can go to D underscore militant, and that's the traditional spelling. And um, then as far as uh, Facebook, you can find me at uh, facebook.com backslash Mr. Demilitant, Mr. period Demilitant, and then Darrow period Littleton period seven. Good deal. Good deal. And again, they can also find the links to everything that we've been chatting about at SuccessTalkersRadio.com slash Daryl Littleton. And it will all be there on the show notes page. So, so Daryl, again, thank you for being so generous with your time today and transparent. So we say thank you. Thank you for having me on. And good luck. This is a great show. And thank you. Much, much success with it. I appreciate that. And for everyone out there listening, thank you for tuning in. And until our next episode, remember to keep stalking success. Well, that'll do it for another episode of Success Stalkers Radio. If you'd like to hear more from these inspiring entrepreneurs and entertainers, be sure to subscribe to the Success Stalkers Radio podcast on iTunes. And if you found value in this episode, give us a review hopefully five stars. You may also visit us at successstalkers.com. Leave us a comment. We love to hear from you.